Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to the Analysis.News. We'll be back in just a few seconds with Katrina Vandenhubel to discuss the arrest of Boris Kargalitsky, an anti-war activist who was based in Moscow, is now being held in jail for his opposition to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Boris Kargalitsky, a leading Russian-based Marxist and anti-war activist, was arrested on July 25th. Now joining us to discuss why Boris was arrested now and why there is a free Boris Kargalitsky movement developing around the world is Katrina Vandenhubel. She's the editorial director and publisher of The Nation, and she served as the editor of the magazine from 1995 to 2019. Thanks very much for joining me, Katrina. Thank you for having me, Paul. So you've known Boris for decades. Uh, give us an introduction. You know, who is Boris and, and why do you think the arrest has taken place now? But, but start with how you know Boris and, and who he is. Well, Boris Kagerlitsky is probably the most important Marxist uh, in previously in the Soviet Union, now in the post-Soviet space. He's known in the West. He's published with Verso and New Left Review. Uh, he's someone who founded in 2007 an important institution, uh, the Institute for Globalization and Social Movements. He's someone who's been a dissident in other times, Paul. He was arrested, I believe, in... Um, in, wow, 1982 3, he was a member of the Moscow City Council and in the Brezhnev years. And then he was arrested again in 1993. These were brief. He was a year in La Forteva in uh, 1982. But in 1993, when Yeltsin stormed the parliament, an act which was welcomed here but was um, reviled by much of Russia, Boris was arrested again. I met Boris. Uh, in 1981 with my late husband, Stephen Cohen. He was an assistant, Boris, at the time, to the great Marxist dissident, Rory Medvedev, who wrote a magisterial book called Let History Judge, a deeply anti-Stalinist book. I remember meeting, uh, this was miles from the center of Moscow, and Boris was um, quiet. He was a graduate of the Theatrical Institute in Moscow, which is interesting. And he later, I think, studied economics and political science. But he was self-taught in fundamental ways. He had a great sense of humor. Um, and he's persisted. In 1989, I did a roundtable interview with three young members of Perestroika. Gorbachev's reforms were called restructuring. One was Kagerlitsky. The other was a man named Alexei Rumyantsev, who was considered the James Madison of Russia, having helped write the Constitution in 1993, and another from the provinces. He was from the city where Kamaz trucks were made. What I've, the Rumyantsev person went on to work for Mars Chocolate in Russia and for oil companies, and the pro provincial person went off to Finland to live. But Boris Kagerlitsky has persisted. He has remained a survivor in different times in the Soviet Union and in Russia. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of humor. Uh, he's a very serious man, and he takes Marxism seriously. He's anti-war by nature. But we were talking earlier, Paul, he's also someone who did support 
the annexation of Crimea at the beginning years ago. But, you know, I think it sometimes misunderstood. Alexei Navalny, who is better known in the West, also supported the annexation of Crimea. And Boris, as a Marxist, has always been, as you can imagine, deeply anti-neoliberalism. So for you know, for those in the West who may have thought Yeltsin and the Yeltsin era brought some, you know, change to Russia, democratic change, I would suggest that Boris found in Gorbachev's Perestroika and Glasnost, he was much more sympathetic to that, though understanding it was not uh, a Marxist economics program. But in Yeltsin's years, he was extraordinarily effective and ferocious in opposition to the looting of the country, the giveaway of the country to oligarchs. So I'd say that his integrity is rooted in his understanding that people have been shafted. Then he turned to the war. He was, like some Russians, more supportive of the Donbass takeover. He saw it, I think, and he regretted it, saw it a more kind of movement politics that would be a project, perhaps any neoliberal but he came around, Paul, and I want to say maybe five, six, seven years ago, to understanding that you couldn't have true socialism as a supporter of this war. And this war has started and started before the horrific launch and aggression of uh, 22 months ago. So Boris is a man of integrity. He um, just, the last point is he was aware of the threats he faced, because he was named a foreign agent last year, and so was his institute in 2022. But he, you know, is someone who um, believes in the possibilities of his country, and the fact that he hasn't left, that he is, you know, now in Komi Republic, 800 miles from Moscow, in terrible detention, is a measure of his desire or sense of purpose that he needed to stay in his country and not to leave. Um, Boris told me, and uh, for viewers, uh, I've interviewed Boris three, four, or five times now, and we put all the interviews up on a page. So if you look for the one Boris interview, you'll find all the Boris interviews on our website. If you're watching on YouTube, it's actually easier to do this on, on the website, but there's a playlist, a Boris playlist there too. Um, and Boris said his early support for Donetsk and Lugansk was that the left, he thought, were really in leadership of the movement there. Um, but he thought that after a few years, they, lo they lost any influence there. And essentially, Putin's forces really took over. Um, and that's how he explained. You know what's interesting, Paul? Yeah, what's interesting, Paul, is, uh, first of all, I just want to say, that yes, Boris, by the way, has you know written for the nation for decades, and um, he came to visit the nation last in 2019. He would come and speak when he was in the United States. Um, I think what Boris saw in well, what's interesting is in the context of Russian society and politics today. A week before Boris was detained and arrested, the leader of the Donbas project. His real name, I believe, is Igor Girkin, but he's called Strelkov, was arrested. So, I mean, I think there's a kind of, listen, in times of war, forces of independence and 
good politics don't do well. Independent voices, dissident voices, heretical voices are the first to go. So you have on this patriotic right sector, Strelkov arrested a week before Boris. And I think there's more and more repression, if that's possible, inside Russia, post-Prigorshan mutiny, uh, as the war amps up, uh, again, in this counteroffensive offensive. So Boris has become, I think, part of this increasing repression. Um, what's st striking to me, Paul, if I could, is in some of the coverage, and of course, open democracy has a leftist understanding why solidarity with Boris today is important, despite his early support for Donbass, Crimea. But you do have people like Sergei Markov, who is a Kremlin pundit I've known for decades, who was more of a newspaper analyst, saying what a mistake it was that the Kremlin did this because Boris is an important figure of the left in the West. And I haven't seen a crack in the Kremlin like that. In addition, the head of RT, Margarita Simonyan, said this was a big mistake. Yeah. So, you know, I, I there's something interesting in that, that people believe Putin is an all-seeing, omnipotent autocrat. He isn't authoritarian. But there was a survey about five years ago that 40% of the decrees from the Kremlin are not fulfilled. It's a huge country. So the question is why this federal security agent, head of the security forces in the Komi Republic, 800 miles from Moscow, suddenly saw Boris's post of almost a year ago about the Crimean Bridge, and he was taken from Moscow, which is very unusual. Those arrested in Moscow are often kept in Moscow. So something, you know, there, there are cracks here that are worth exploring in the commitment of those in the West who understand Boris's role in Russian society to support him, to be in solidarity with him. Um, the question is what, you know this issue, Paul, it's vexing. What is best position to assist someone like Boris at this moment? Is it international pressure? Is it international attention to make sure at least that the conditions of his confinement are more humane than they might be? But it, I think Boris has made clear, as have members of his institute, that attention is of importance. Uh, I, the, the article you referred to, that was apparently the basis of the charges against Boris. Uh, I say Boris because I'm too Anglo to say Boris. Uh, but Boris uh, was so innocuous. He was discussing uh, the, the attack on the bridge in Crimea, explaining why the Ukrainians did it. He didn't even, it's not like he came out and supported doing it. It was more, it was very uh, dispassioned analysis. It's a fig leaf excuse. And it's also kind of odd because some of the stuff Boris has said more recently has been so overtly against the war, so denouncing Putin in the strongest of terms, yet they picked this, you know, year plus some old article to go after him with. Well, yeah, no, it's true. And the idea that it's fomenting terrorism is delusional, but the Crimean Bridge is more than just a bridge. It's a project. It was Putin's personal special project to show that he could unify 
you know, Ukraine landmass with Crimea, and it was done in special circumstances. Oligarchs were given all they needed. So there's something in that that kind of... Now, Boris just spoke about how the supply lines would be impacted. It wasn't really like, go, go, go. I mean, there have been others who have said that the Kirsch Bridge is a legitimate war target because it's being used for the... But there, there, there are debates about whether it's being used for the uh, delivery of weapons. But in any case, it seems to me that Boris has gotten caught up in this dangerous time where the war is going on, but it's a um, it's amping up even as the counteroffensive by the Ukrainians doesn't seem to be moving as effectively as many in the West had thought. And the Soviet the Russians are uh, increasing their air bombing and going for places like Odessa, which are very again symbolic to the Ukrainians and to Russians. So he's Boris may be caught up in this cycle of repression, war post Prigozhin, where Putin wants to show how tough. Again, though, I think you have elements around the country which want to show they're tough, and you know, tough means what we saw with arrests of all kinds. Okay, so just for viewers who aren't familiar. Uh, Katrina and her husband, Stephen Kahn, who, who passed away a few years ago. And, and I did a long series of interviews with Stephen, which you can find on our site, too. Uh, are, are some of the most prominent voices over the last few decades opposing Russophobia, um, both Katrina and Stephen, uh, were, were very uh, important in opposing the crazy hysteria, anti-Russia hysteria we've heard from the U.S., for years. So it's, it's you know, these are, Katrina and Stephen's voices are not people who would jump on some anti-Russian bandwagon whatsoever. On the other hand, uh, Katrina has been very critical of the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and very supportive of Boris. Now, that said, Boris has taken some, bish, some positions I haven't agreed with, which I've said in a recent interview, uh, Boris has essentially adopted much of what some of the Ukrainian left say, which is this, not only is this war defending Ukraine just, which I think it is too, but that it should be waged until for the complete liberation of Donbass and Crimea. Um, and that there's no onus on the Ukrainians to negotiate or stop this short of that. And now Boris has been advocating that as a position. I'm wondering what you think of that. Well, I've, first of all, Steve greatly admired Boris, and I think Boris admired Steve, and they had debates um, of different kinds. Uh, Boris, often more utopian as to what might change. Now, Steve's last book was War with Russia, and just briefly on the Russophobia. I think the demonization of Russia in these last years has contributed to some of what we're seeing. I continue to see that Putin's messianic language and ideas are very dangerous uh, for true kind of world's world. But on the other hand, um, it's 
It's a measure. NATO expansion cannot be dismissed. The relationship in 2000 had possibilities, which by 2007, when Putin spoke in Munich and criticized the unipolar United States and Iraq, is you know something that has to be understood. And then five years of Russiagate demonized Russia to such an extent that there was an easy path toward more conflict. Boris, I was in touch with Boris during the Prigozhin mutiny and hmm. asked him to write, and he did write at the end of it. But he said, you know, Prigozhin is going to be in Moscow tonight. Boris was a brilliant person, but he, his analysis didn't often come true. Uh, he would be more quick to argue um, and I think he may have turned, as you suggest, he deeply anti-war, but I don't agree with some of what he wrote. But you have to respect that voice. And I think in these times, any independent voice, you don't have to agree with, but you want to give space to it. And that's what I think is wrong in this country right now, that there's almost a smearing of those who raise alternative ideas as to how to resolve the Ukrainian crisis. You're called pro-Putin or pro-Russian too quickly when you speak in your own voice, but it may intersect with a f way forward to peace talks or finding alternatives to ongoing arming, arming weapons uh, of the Ukrainians. Boris's strength, in my view, is that he saw in the Soviet project into the Russian project power and property. He was not sentimental. I mean, it was a looting of a country, and it was a looting of values he believed in and was going to remain a force for, through his institute and through his writing, a commitment to a Marxist stance. But I, you know, I, you don't agree with everyone, but you don't, you support their right to speak. And I think being in solidarity at this moment, especially with those who may can believe the war in Ukraine is a just war, but I'm someone who believes we've over-militarized our security. I'm a great believer in human security, and I'm a great believer in Gorbachev and what he and people like Olaf Palma put forth as um, the hope of a common European home seems so distant, but not militarized like NATO, but from Vladivostok to Lisbon of value and principle. And I think Boris was in essence someone who, and is in essence someone who believes in that. But at the moment, he's reacting and speaking to the current circumstances. Um, he told me while he thinks NATO is an aggressive militarist bloc, while he thinks NATO should be disbanded, um, he does think some of the left, whether it's North America or in what people are calling the global south. I, I don't love that term because it's such a mixed bag what's in the global south. It is. But, different. Yeah, but whatever. For the sake of argument, the global south. Uh, he, he thought the, the, the factor of NATO expansion was being greatly exaggerated and that, in fact, it was pretty clear Ukraine wasn't getting into NATO. Uh, France and Germany had had made it clear this is nothing imminent. Turkey wasn't going to, they weren't going to have consensus. And Bor Boris is- That's post NATO. Yeah. Well, even, I even before, I mean, this goes right back to in the beginning when the Bush administration was pushing for uh, 
Ukraine and NATO, France and Germany said no. Uh, and so Boris said that it wasn't such a factor as some people are saying. You know, there is a debate, and I continue to think that NATO expansion, which we had a special issue about in 1997 at The Nation, played a vital role. But it wasn't just the expansion of NATO. It was the ravaging of a relationship by 2008 when Georgia and Ukraine were offered fast track. What do we, you know, the, we're not going to go through one step, not one step eastward, but the violation and the, and, the, and the fact that, Paul, there's, in this country, can you imagine, like, Warsaw Pact setting up in the Mexican border? This is, you know, there, there is a belief in spheres of influence. I'm not sure that's the best politics or approach, but Boris has his opinions. I'm not sure what he thought was the reason for the war. I mean, did he think it was messianic ideas of reconstituting a Soviet empire? That's another. Uh, not primarily, no. He thought it was... What, it, what he said was that Putin's party did very badly in the last elections. Um, there was a rising uh, sentiment, especially outside of two or three of the major cities. You know, much of Russia is doing terribly. The poverty was getting worse. Uh, you know, in, in every indicator, life was getting worse for people. And, and so they that, needed to go out. He yeah, more. that he thought this would be a way, and also under pressure from you know the toxic religious right, the Russian Orthodox Church, the the other sections of the right militarists, a, a way to balance all of these problems, a quick victory in Ukraine, and get a lot of nationalist enthusiasm going, and they never expected such a disaster. But that doesn't mean NATO. That doesn't doesn't mean NATO expansion wasn't a factor. Uh, speaking about um, Boris, and um, I, I want to just add that this is a figure, and we don't see this often in any country's politics. Who's not only a thinker, but he was a doer. He would travel the country, and he was helping uh, lead campaigns of independent candidates in parts of the country far from Moscow. He was very involved with the creation of an independent trade union. So, you know, he, he really, and he continued to pursue. Uh, he, you know, I think he's right that you can't ignore the Russian Orthodox Church and the rise of its power in the elite, which has been one of the stories missing from our news reporting these last years. Boris had his ideas. He has his ideas. But it doesn't mean he shouldn't be in, you know, that there's not a solidarity with someone who has been an important force for exposing some of, you know, the corruption in Russia. Uh, he's, al he's always been critical of Putin, and then for different reasons. But of course, there's the traditional view that when your country, the economics is failing and your support is falling, a war, a quick war, which is apparently what was anticipated, is not a bad way to fix your problems. That has not happened. The problems have been exposed. Uh, I just want to add Maurice something. Become... I, I think something he thought, and, and certainly I think, um, whether NATO was the reason or not, and I don't think it was the reason, but it, it's it's our reason. If even if it's what? a yeah, even if it's a subjective part of the narrative of Russian nationalism, 
that is nothing. I mean, United, how many times have the United, why was United States in Afghanistan so long? Because you're not supposed to lose a war in Afghanistan. It had nothing to do with real strategic problems. And, and, and but, but let me say, the, the, what should have been done, and there were lots of Ukrainian voices saying this before the invasion, is Ukraine should have taken NATO off the table and said, okay, forget this. We're, we're, we're not getting... So here we are. Did you, see, did you see the last NATO summit? I mean, out of that suggests that... You, I mean, it was cruel in a way to Ukraine. You can't join until this, this, this condition is met. And the fact of the war and the division and the economic crisis in Ukraine is going to keep it from joining at any point soon. Now, that may change. But I, I do think, um, you know, what, again, uh, Boris fully understood and understands that the uh, Ukraine is probably Russia's most, the Russians and Ukrainians are interrelated or intermarried. Ukraine is not Georgia. I, but the other thing Boris understood is the power of American militarism. That doesn't mean you don't oppose this war, but you do understand that America has declared itself the sole superpower with the right to police the world. And what Putin said in Munich in 2007 is this is no longer a unipolar world. And I think whatever America strives to achieve as a sole superpower, it's not possible anymore. No president wants to tell its country that it's in decline. You don't have to say it's in decline. You suggest restraint. You suggest being one of many in order to build a better, just world. But underlying Boris's principles is a Marxism that really has led him to engage with the poor and the disaffected and the disenfranchised in Russia. He didn't stay in Moscow. He's traveled the country and tried to rebuild a different politics against all odds, which is, again, Boris has a sense of humor, which cannot be belied. And that has kept him going strong. And I don't diminish that. His wife, his wife, his wife calls him the greatest optimist on earth. That he's even in jail, he's in a pretty good mood, even though he's, he could be looking at seven years or more imprisonment. And the other thing that's dangerous is that detention often extends longer than the num. You know, they be, be, say at the outset. I think what people can do, and maybe you'll list some in, information poll on this program is just make sure that the Russian government knows we know where Boris is. Um, and it is a fr very scary to see the journalists in the last, now Boris is more than a journalist, but to see the sentences and the years being given to uh, people who are journalists. And this happens in countries of repression. Um, and I think um, solidarity with Boris is it, is it, even if you disagree, and I do disagree in the sense that I believe that it's a moment where facts on the ground suggest that any way to offer Ukraine solid security guarantees, begin reconstruction, maybe tithe Russian oligarchs, um, it's going to be it's going to be a long road. and um, the hatred 
the maximalist positions. Um, one doesn't want to speak for the Ukrainians, but in order to rebuild their country with secure guarantees is something I believe is uh, in the interest of, you know, building a better world. And I know Boris has strong views, but I still have worked with him for decades. My late husband, who didn't agree with him on everything, and Steve certainly had strong views, uh, thought Boris was a person of integrity. In terms of American policy, uh, as much as I condemn the invasion and, and I, whatever you make of NATO, invading Ukraine didn't weaken NATO anyway. So the, the whole thing is a, is, a, is, a, is a debacle. And most importantly, the tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are getting killed. That That is that the center or should be at the center of this discussion and usually isn't. But that being said, the Biden administration seems to be doing nothing but dragging this out. Uh, they don't have to say it's up to the Ukrainians whether to negotiate or not negotiate because the Americans can say we're not going to give you the weapons if there's not negotiation. No, um, it's not clear what the Biden policy is at this stage, uh, except for arming, more arming and a, maybe appointing Victoria Newland, who that sends us. Uh, Victoria Newland was the diplomat in Maidan in 2014. 14. 14. Forget the cookies that she handed out to all the protesters, but she basically let the Ukraine, the American ambassador to Ukraine know that America was running the show when she said F-C-K, the EU. She's known as a hardliner, a hawk. So what kind of signal does that send to Russia? But um, I think um, there does there have been some back channels but the Biden White House has essentially said we don't have anything to do with it. But there have to be some back channels because right now the world is essentially depleted of weapons. The food security, the hunger crisis is brutal. The country Ukraine is the most mined country in the world. And the let's you talked about the thousands who've been killed, Paul. Yes. But the military in Russia and Ukraine has always been a source of corruption, of bad training. And the idea that both countries have now raised their conscription, their years, you know, 60, I'm not sure, 60-year-old guy in Russia, where the mortality rate for men is 67, is uh, going to be thinking, this is my future. And that's happened in Ukraine, too. But the, and then you have, by the way, all Prigozhin's just one of. I'm writing about all the private military companies that are now being formed by governors, by oligarchs. So, you, and it's it's a moment of peril. And the more this war goes on, my view is going to be a depletion of all the best and an amplification of all the worst. And the other thing, just to add to what you said, I think. Every single conversation, whether it's about geopolitics uh, or what you name it, has to start from how does this affect the climate crisis and the threat of nuclear war? If you don't start your analysis from those two points, then nothing else matters. And, and you know, I, I've, I've argued with the Ukrainian leftists about this. You know, you want to end this with the liberation of Crimea and you, you're going to fight to the end for that. You tell me what 
what Ukraine is there left in 10, 15 years when we hit one five and then two degrees warming. And we're not even talking about that now because all we're talking about is is this war. We're to, I will say that just inside Ukraine, you have the largest environmental crisis of contemporary Ukraine in the last 30 years. You have the dam, brutal for climate crisis. And then you have Zaporozhia, where they've been fighting around for months now, which is the largest, I believe, nuclear reactor site in Europe. And the more fighting that goes on around there, the more danger and the more desperate as the war goes on, both sides may be, you could see, God help us, a resort to um, tactical nuclear weapons. And I fear our team. Well, there's a, there's very there's real voices in Russia calling for nuking Poland, serious foreign policy voices. That is an that is something your viewers should pay attention to: the danger of Poland coming into the west of Ukraine. There may be some movement there, and Poland, a NATO country. I just think the 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 more guarantees Ukraine can get the more both countries move away from their maximalist positions, the more possibility there is for a global South, a term we don't love, it's a very variegated global South, can have to live better because the collateral damage of this war has been to worsen the situation. And note that much of the world, while opposing the war, is not taking sides because you know, they see two superpowers at war over a European country. And they're like, this is too Eurocentric. And we haven't even, but China and India and Turkey have emerged, as has Brazil to some extent, as forces in possibly resolving this. I hope so. Uh, just for people watching, Google Boris Kargalitsky. Uh, you'll see several places. There's campaigns. I don't know if it's petitions. Where open letters. Open letters. Uh, as Katrina has said, whether you agree with everything Boris says or not, he's been one of the most important voices for reform and progress in Russia. And and to be headed off for pro possibly or probably even a decade imprisonment, uh, people need to condemn this and, and call for his release. Uh, any Any final word, Katrina? Um, you know, I've gone to Russia since 1978, and I, um, I think um, I'd like to see the country thrive, and uh, it's been battered. I think I'm, I again come back to Gorbachev, who gave the country a possibility of democratization. The economy was tough, but that possibility of democratization, I think, has been squandered both under Yeltsin, who began de-democratization, and under Putin. And war is bad. Um, there are cases where I'm not a pacifist, but I would say let's end this war as speedily as we can so that it also offers Ukraine security, but that we can move on to the crises of our times as you've laid them out, Paul. And thank you for having me on. All right. Thanks a lot, Katrina. Uh, to everybody can watching. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. May Boris be released.
Uh, thanks very much, Katrina. And for everybody watching, uh, we only get to do this because people donate. So if you go to the website, you'll see a donate button up there. And uh, if, if most important, get on the email list if you're not on it. And thanks, thanks so much for watching.